I couldn't help but think how ironic it is that at the end of that last song we sang, I, I sang three times, I will rise, I will rise, I will rise. And your next words were, please be seated. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> I'm sure no one else thought of that. It's just kind of my own little... My own little twisted way of, of watching the world, I guess. But, you know, speaking of that, that, the way we look at life tends to change, doesn't it? As, as we go through life. I remember when I was a child, I never really thought much about heaven. You know, we're spending four weeks here talking about heaven and why we should... Uh, focus our thoughts on heaven while we live here on earth. And I didn't really do that when I was young. I mean, I had so much of my life in front of me. Um, I knew I was going to live to be 100 years old. I told one of my friends when I was about seven that I'm going to be 100 years old. And that was back when hardly anybody was living to be 100 years old. And I had a rather carefree life. If I had a problem, I went to mom and dad, my big sister. I went to mom and dad, <laughs> and, they, and they took care of it. Uh, the, it seems like the biggest decision I had to make was which comic book I was going to buy with my allowance, Spider-Man or Thor. And if I looked pitiful enough, long enough, they'd say, just get both. And I'd get both of them. I just didn't think about heaven. I mean, I was too busy living life here to think about what happens out there. I mean, I knew about heaven. I learned about it at Sunday school. I listened to the preacher talk about it. I believed in it. I just didn't think about it. Now I became a teenager. Now I had way too many other things to focus on than heaven. Young adult... A parent. I started to think about heaven when I became a parent. <laughs> those two beautiful little girls. Do you ever have one of those days where you get home from work and you walk in the house and I don't know, Sue was fretting about something and, and the kids were chasing each other through the house, fighting and throwing things at each other and the dog was all agitated and you just turn around and go, I ain't going in there. You know, there's just nothing about that I want to be part of right now. And so when you become a parent, you start thinking about heaven a little bit. <laughs> the peace, the quiet, the calm. And then, of course, as a senior adult, which I just barely am, by the way. I'm on the edge. I'm on the edge. Um, you start to think about it even more when you realize that there's a lot more of life behind me than in front of me, I start to think more about heaven. 
And I think one reason we don't think as much about heaven when we're younger as we do when we're older is because as we get older, we start to experience more of the hardships of life. As I said, when I was a kid, I was pretty carefree. I just didn't have a lot of cares or worries that amounted to anything. But after a while, I began to figure out this life is actually kind of hard. There's a lot of stuff that happens that I don't have any control over, and yet it affects me. Life likes to throw curveballs at us. We talked about that one Sunday, didn't we? Life's curveballs. And the more we experience the hardship and the suffering of life, the more we experience death as people around us leave this world behind, I think the more we find our thoughts going to heaven. So far we've talked about heaven as a real place, that heaven is real, that it's a reality. We've talked about the assurance of heaven. How do we know that when we leave this world behind, we're going to be there? And this morning I want to focus on the peace of heaven. How much peace thinking about heaven can bring you, especially in the midst of the suffering and the hardships and even death. Thinking about heaven changes our perspective on suffering and death. If anyone understood how hard life is and how full of suffering life can be, it was the Apostle Paul. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, talks about all of the things he had to experience once he became a Christian. Now, before Christ, Paul's life was pretty simple. It was pretty orderly. He was uh, a Pharisee. He had a good life as a Pharisee. He was well provided for. He was respected as a teacher. He was looked up to by his peers. They admired his boldness as he persecuted those Christians. But then it all changed. He encountered the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. And he went from being the foremost persecutor of Christians to the foremost Christian being persecuted. He enumerated some of his sufferings to the Corinthians. Said, you know, I've been imprisoned, I've been beaten, once he was stoned nearly to death, he was shipwrecked, he talked about suffering physical pain, mental anguish, sleepless nights, hunger. Life got really hard for Paul. And yet this is what he had to say about all that. I'm in 2 Corinthians 4. And I'm going to start with verse 7. But we have this treasure, and by this treasure he means the, the salvation that we have in Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. 
For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. I'm going to drop down to 16. Therefore, do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now think back to that list I just gave you of Paul's sufferings. Beatings, stonings, imprisonment, sleepless nights, hunger, physical pain. All the suffering that he went through. And when he sums them up, he calls them light and momentary troubles. Sounds pretty heavy to me. But he wanted us to have this image in mind. Remember the old scales where you had the stand and then you had the long bar and then you had these two hanging basket-like things. And you'd put something on this side and then you'd put something else on this side and you'd see which one outweighed the other. That's the image Paul has in mind here. He said, if I take all this trouble that I'm experiencing right now, and I pile it over here. And I take the glory that awaits me in heaven. And I pile it over here. Boom. Just like, I mean, it just far outweighs them all. In fact, I think if you pressed Paul, he would say, if I took every trouble, every hardship, every trial, tribulation, problem, suffering I ever experienced in my whole life. And I piled it all over here. And I could put the glory of heaven over here. It would still go. He said it's just, it's not even comparable. There's nothing that I go through in this world that is even remotely close to the glory and the peace and the love and the grace and the mercy and all of those things that are a part of God's kingdom. It far outweighs them all. And Paul kept that in his mind. All the time he would get arrested, he'd, he'd be thinking about heaven. He would be beaten with a whip, he'd be thinking about heaven. Rocks were flying at him, he'd be thinking about heaven. No matter what was happening in this world, his thoughts were on heaven. And it allowed him to get through it. Paul went on to say that we fix our eyes not on what is seen, the suffering, but what is unseen, the glory of heaven. For what is seen, the suffering, is temporary. But what is unseen, the glory of heaven, is eternal. 
That, that phrase, we fix our eyes. We need to talk about that just a minute. He's not talking about a casual glance, is he? I'm just going to kind of look over there. He's not talking about an occasional look. Sometimes I'll be reading something and Sue or Becky will be watching television and something will happen or something is said and I find myself occasionally oh, looking up at the TV and then I'm reading and I just occasionally look up. He's talking about when, you, when it says we fix our eyes, it's a stare. <laughs> Where you focus on someone and you just can't take your eyes off of them like Sue. I just can't. I just, in fact, the rest of the sermon, I think I'm just going to, I'm just here, right here, hon, right here. Yeah, you might want to move, Raph. It's going to get a little uncomfortable for you after a bit here. Yeah, it, it does, doesn't it? Doesn't it make you uncomfortable when you, got, when you have the sense that, you know, they just keep looking at me. They're just looking at me. Children will do that sometimes. Not you, much smaller children. But they'll, they'll, just, they'll just look at you. And you do something and they're just looking at you and you're like, what do you want? <laughs> Why are you staring at me? Did you ever play that game when you were a kid, this stare down game? Where, you know, first one blinks, loses. Well, that's, that's what fixing our eyes means. It means to have that kind of focus so that once you've got the hope of heaven in your mind, once your eyes are fixed on Jesus, you don't take it off. You're focused. And that gives us a whole different perspective on suffering when we can do that. I know in my own life that's been true. Some of the hardships I have faced, you, you feel like, boy, I just don't know how I'm going to get through this one. I think this obstacle just seems bigger than the rest. This trouble seems to be lasting longer than the rest. This suffering just seems to be harder to take than anything I've faced before. I don't know how I'm going to get through that. Paul said you're going to get through it by fixing your eyes on Jesus and the hope of heaven and understanding that these light and momentary troubles are nothing compared to the eternal weight of glory. Now, I'm not telling you that's easy. That, that may sound like, oh, well, I just got to think about heaven. No, you got to fix your eyes on heaven. You got to focus your thoughts on heaven. And what is true of the way we experience suffering even extends to how we experience death. The death of those we love, the death of friends, family members, and even our own impending death. Some people don't like to think about heaven because thinking about heaven reminds them how you get there. You have to die. And they don't want to think about death, so they don't think about heaven. But thinking about heaven doesn't make me focus on death. 
thinking about heaven allows me to look past death and understand it for what it truly is. See, we, we use all kinds of words and images for death. We, we talk about death as being darkness, a deep darkness. We think of a cold. We think of almost like nothingness. I do remember as a kid, uh, some, somebody would die around me, some relative, and it would get me thinking about death for a little bit. And I'd get to thinking, I wonder what it's like to die. And I remember several nights I would lay in bed at night and I would do this because that's how you put people in a casket. I would lay like this and I would hold my breath and close my eyes. That must be what death is like. Except I can only do that for about 30 seconds and then, I, <laughs> you know, I got to breathe. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, when we understand this great eternal weight of glory that awaits us in heaven, it allows us to see death for what it really is. It's a time of change. It's a time of transition. Some people see death as the ultimate defeat. But Paul tells us that death is actually the prelude to victory. I don't think I have ever done a funeral that I have not referred to 1 Corinthians 15. Because I do not know of another passage of Scripture that shares the eternal weight of the hope of heaven more than this one. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. Let me stop there a minute. Do you see the image Paul's using? Dying is like changing your clothes. Yesterday, I did some yard work at my sister's house. She's got all these bushes around her house, and, and they have to be trimmed, and somehow that's my job. And I got really hot and sweaty. I got dirty. I think I got into some poison ivy. Um, so when I got home, you know, you kind of walk in like this. <laughs> Uh, you know, I didn't even want to touch my own shirt because it was just sweaty, dirty. I couldn't wait to just strip off all those old, dirty, poison ivy infected clothes and give them to Sue so she could wash them. <laughs> and then to the shower. And you're standing there in the shower and it's just like this instant relief falls over you. As all the dirt's washed away, all the sweat's washed away, hopefully all the poison ivy washed away. And then I get out and I put on fresh, clean clothes. Don't you just feel like a new person? I mean, I do. I just felt so much better. And that's the image Paul wants us to have. He said, death, it's not this deep darkness. It's not this nothingness. 
It's just, you go change your clothes. You're wearing these perishable mortal clothes. And you can't come in my kingdom dressed like that. <laughs> you got to change them. You got to take off that which is perishable so you can put on that which is imperishable. You have to take off that which is mortal so you can put on that which is immortal. And once you change your clothes, I can move on to the next verse. He said, when that happens, the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Death has been swallowed up in victory. He does not say life has been swallowed up by death. It's kind of the way we think about it. Death has been swallowed up by victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? And you can almost, I think when Paul was writing, he probably paused at that point. He wanted that to sink in. Where's your victory, death? Where's your sting, death? Thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Because of a cross and an empty tomb, death has become a toothless lion. You know, the Bible says Satan's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Well, Christ pulled his teeth. Oh, he still struts around in this world. He still roars. Maybe with a little lisp. <laughs> but he's got no bite. He's got no sting. Paul wants all of us to understand that when you give your life to Christ and the eternal weight of glory is your future, death is just a time to get rid of that which can't last, to take on that which will. The first Jurassic Park movie. You've got to think back a few years. Did you see the Jurassic Park movie? In the first Jurassic Park movie, they, they find a way to take the DNA from a fossil that they found, and they clone dinosaurs. And they brought dinosaurs back into our world. And they brought in some uh, scientist people to kind of check things out. Uh, and so they can help them promote this. It was going to be a theme park called Jurassic World. And one of the people asked, well, how are you going to control the population of the dinosaurs? And they said, oh, they cannot reproduce. They have been genetically modified so they can't produce young. So there will only be as many as we decide and create. And a little later, they're out in the park, and they find dinosaur eggs. And somebody asked one of the scientists, who was pretty skeptical about this to start with, how did that happen? 
They said they can't do that. <laughs> and he simply looked at him and said, life will find a way. Life finds a way. And that's the good news. If you want to know what this whole thing called the gospel, the good news, this stuff we preach and teach all the time is the church, it all boils down to that. That through Christ, through his cross, through his empty tomb, life has found a way to triumph over death. And if you truly understand that, it changes everything about the way we view suffering and death. We understand that these light and momentary things we experience here and now are nothing compared to the eternal weight of glory that awaits us then. That when death comes, it's just a time to change our clothes. To take off the rags of this world and put on the robes of Christ's righteousness and his love, his grace, his mercy. It's a time to go home. You know, Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz said it best. There's no place like home.
I don't hope I'm going to heaven. I know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, I'm going to heaven. Is that because I'm special? Well, yeah, 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 but that's not why. No, it's not because I'm special. It's not because I'm good. It's not because I've achieved a whole bunch of stuff in this world that's going to get me in. I know that because I have a Savior. And his name is Jesus. Do you have that same knowledge that when this life is over, you will be with him in heaven? If you don't, you can. By receiving Christ as your Savior. Every week we have this, what we call time of invitation, where we ask people, if you haven't received Christ, if you haven't accepted him as your Lord and Savior, we want you to have this hope of heaven, this, this glory of heaven to, to outweigh all the suffering and even death that we experience in this life. It would be my privilege to receive you, to pray with you, to lead you in a simple confession of faith, accepting Christ and his death on the cross for your salvation. We'll arrange for your baptism, and you too will have that certainty of eternity. We invite you to come as we stand. We're going to sing together number 607, verses 1 and 2.